What I love about this interview with Kate Donovan is it provides a contrary view to a lot of other interviews that I have had on this show. You've heard people come on to the show to talk about emotions, positive psychology, using ways to manage how we're feeling because feelings are accurate. They do reflect the internal chemistry of what we're thinking and doing. And sometimes it can impede us from moving forward. But my interview with Kate Donovan goes a little bit against the grain. She talks about we have to acknowledge all of the garbage, the negative emotions, how we're feeling being in a rut. Sometimes when we're in those places, no amount of gratitude, positive psychology is going to get us out of a little pity party. And I will tell you this past weekend, oh, (laughs) I just was not feeling myself. There was nothing going wrong in the world, but I wasn't feeling good. And I simply needed time away from my current environment to just be with my negative or sad emotions. And then when I was ready, I reached out to friends and family. I started to talk. I started to listen to some of the things they had to say. And when I finally asked for a little help, when I was ready, things started getting a little bit more sunny. And so I am grateful to bring such amazing guests like Kate Donovan that, again, get you to think a little bit differently because out of that, you discover the skills, the tools that you need to be successful with your career. Let's listen to this amazing interview. People have been telling us to paint our heaping piles of composting emotions with silver linings for too long. I believe in positive psychology. I know why it works and what's important about it. I believe in NLP and neuro-linguistic programming and the language that you should use. I believe in all of that. And I also know that when the brain is in a burnt out state, those things don't matter. So we have to know how to reach people that are not in a state where those things are applicable. When you ask for help, you are increasing the resources that you have available to you. When you increase the number of resources available to you, you are more likely to find a solution. When you find a solution, you can get through the problem that you're having with more ease. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I'm Deb Coviello, founder of the Drop-In CEO brand, and I'm thrilled you've joined me for another episode of this podcast where I get to speak to amazing leaders and share their insights and perhaps inspire you. And if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and tell others so we can continue to bring you great programming. And just know in my heart, we do this because I sincerely care about C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow and help them navigate their challenges with confidence. And now, it is my honor to share the mic with my great guest, Kate Donovan. Kate is a keynote speaker, one of New York City's leading 
burnout experts, host of Fried the Burnout Podcast, and author of the book, The Bounce Back Ability Factor, and an acupuncturist with a master's degree in Chinese medicine. Her creative burnout recovery solutions have been featured on podcasts and online magazines such as Forbes, NPR, and the New York Post, and in companies such as Lululemon and PepsiCo. Kate, it is my honor to welcome you onto the show. I am so thrilled to be here. I know the list of guests that have been here before me, and I know that this seat is so valuable. And it's my pleasure. And just a quick shout out to the network. I love the network and warm referrals. John Narrell, who referred me to you, Kate, and I've had a great conversation. I'm so excited to bring this to you, my listeners, because while the topic you hear a lot about burnout, but Kate brings a unique perspective and she's going to bring you actionable tips to be aware of the signs of burnout and don't be victim to it and what you can do to make sure that you maintain balance in your life and achieve the things that you want to achieve. So Kate, I would love for you to share a bit about your story and how you arrived at the work that you're doing now. It's funny because I left a medical track. I was a pre-med student when I first got to college. I left a medical track because I wanted to avoid burnout. I didn't know those words at the time, but that was the impetus. And I ended up studying Chinese medicine, which is a much more holistic, much more beautiful way of working with people, much more intimate relationship with patients. You really feel like you can support people. And I ended up burning out as an acupuncturist anyway, which was really tricky for me because when you finish Chinese medicine school, you are basically a stress management expert. Everything in Chinese medicine is related to how various stressors affect your ability to thrive in life. So should have known better. But it's it's one of those things that we can become an expert at our craft, but then we have to constantly revisit ourselves, reevaluate, reflect, and say, am I practicing what I teach others? And I'll tell you, myself, I love what I'm doing. I love podcasting. I love my business. I'm constantly reaching out to people. And then I look back and 60 hours later over the course of the week, I'm saying, Ooh, am I doing exactly what I caution others not to do to not burn out? So you reflected and said, potentially you're getting burnt out. So what happened after that? When I finally realized it was burnout, I did not do the DIY thing for the first time in my life. I am a DIYer to my core. I will figure it out by myself. I was raised to be almost independent to a point of it not being healthy. And burnout was sort of the first time where I thought, you know, I'm really actually not going to do this by myself. And a lot of people that have been through burnout love to share this message of like, I figure it out alone. So I'm here to help you figure it out faster and better. I'm here to tell you that I didn't figure it out alone. And I don't think you should either, because there's a certain level of coherence that you have to find with another human being in order to reset your nervous system in a way that actually helps you heal. And having another party present to witness you even if they're just sitting there, which they're not, because they can act as mirrors and reflections for you. But just having someone with you helps your nervous system to reset and puts you in a better mind state, body state, spirit state. So I had a coach, I had a therapist, and when I felt strong enough from both of those tools, I had a functional medicine doctor, I changed my diet, I went through all of it, and I had all the support I could possibly afford at the time. So fast forward, you realize you were burnt out, stressed from the work that I believe you were so passionate about with an external support system. Then what happened next? 
What I realized was a couple of things. One, I derived my value from being useful to people. I know that's a, a big statement to just sort of come out and throw that down, like hear it. But that's that's the core of so much of my burnout story. I did not know how to inhabit my own body because I was constantly scanning my environment, whether that environment was work, the tram, the bus, the mall, the grocery store. I was constantly scanning my environment for somebody who needed assistance so that I could come in and save the day. Somebody dropped a can of soup or couldn't reach a cereal box. Somebody needed a seat on the tram and I could get up. I used to live in Prague. So somebody was lost on the streets of Prague and they were speaking English and I could go help them get where they needed to go because I was a local. I was constantly, always just had a spotlight on the entire world except for myself. And that was where I thought my value came from. So this is part one. I had to move away from that. Burning out didn't really have a lot to do with me loving or not loving my job. I loved my job. I love acupuncture. I love my patients. But I needed to give them more than they needed me to give them. They came in for one thing and I was giving them six. You talk about over-serving and over-delivering. I was the queen of over-delivering. I was doing $35 acupuncture treatments in Prague and connecting it with life coaching within an hour. So I don't know if you still have more to this story that you're sharing, but I'd love to go there because I'm sure through your coaching and reflection, you're independent. You found your value in service to others. And I know there's a lot of people listening out there, but I'm curious, what was the impetus for that? Was there some, is it just your DNA or was there something in your past for which then this became a hyper or superpower? of yours that now has turned into something that's your demise, potentially? About 20 to 30% of your audience will be like, me too. (laughs) I am the adult child of an alcoholic. Okay. So when you grow up in a household where there is addiction or alcoholism, you do create a tendency to scan your environment and become hypervigilant because you feel like you have to manage people's emotions. You know, I get that. I get that. Again, just I'm going to be in generalities here because it's you and me and our listeners just happen to be listening to this conversation here. I recognize the signs of being in an environment that may have been less than ideal. And so as a child, as a youth, I know what I was always seeking to do was consensus, calm, being a diplomat, making sure that everybody was heard. Hence why my superpower of moderation, facilitating conversations, I don't like controversy, hence why even my children says, you know, you beat around the bush. I just want to know what you think. And so sometimes these things that come from our past, and we need to celebrate our past, recognize that now they become a detriment to our own health (laughs) and maybe being in service to others because we're burnt out. Yeah. And I think it's important to recognize that the coping mechanisms that you create as a child to handle whatever situation you're in are typically adaptive for a long period of time before they become maladaptive. And they can become adaptive again if you apply them properly in the right places. So I'm cool with a perfectionist if they're a perfectionist while they're doing my neurosurgery, but I don't need them to rearrange (laughs) the dishwasher the same day, right? It's okay to people please. Because you like to see joy in people's eyes and in their smiles. That's okay. 
as long as it's not the thing that drives every single interaction that you have. So there's a pendulum swing in the coping mechanisms that we create as children that some of them swing too far to the other side, become maladaptive, and we have to bring them back to the middle so that we can, I don't want to change anybody. I'm not going to change myself. I'm not here to change you. But how can we use your superpowers as superpowers instead of having them drain you? Okay. I am really loving this conversation where this is going. So I'm going to pull you forward again. So with this realization now, and the Chinese medicine, the rewarding work, nothing wrong with what you did. It is part of who you are and you bring that forward. So now how are you in service in a way that leverages your superpowers without being your detriment and maladaptive characteristics? (laughs) So the thing that I honed in on and is the core of my work is always very surprising to people. (laughs) I tell people when they're burnt out to focus on resentment. Do not gratitude journal if you are burnt out because you won't feel a thing. You'll write those three specific things that you were taught to write in A Course in Miracles or whatever book you opened last week that told you to be more grateful. And you'll write them down and then you'll judge yourself for not actually feeling the gratitude that you're writing about because you don't feel it, right? Yeah. If you don't feel it, gratitude is not useful. Gratitude is a beautiful, wonderful tool when it arises naturally and when you can create the actual sensation of it. When you're thinking about something that you're grateful for and you feel it in your whole body, that makes you more resilient to make the sentence really short. But when you are burnt out, you're very unlikely to be able to reach that state. And when you are burnt out, you are very likely to have very terrible boundaries. Yes. So we look to resentment. Resentment will tell you each and every place in your life where the boundaries are misshapen or broken or were never placed, etc. Your job is to become an objective observer and look at the resentment through a particular lens and series of questions that I give people to say, what needs to happen here? What's the boundary? Is it, for instance, the first question is, does this thing that I'm resentful about even need to be done? This, for C-suite leaders, is usually like, feels like a kick in the pants because everything I do is important and everything needs to be done. And I'm here to disappoint you sorely and tell you that 10% of the things you do every day could probably be eliminated tomorrow and no one would notice. Yes. And I'm going to let you run a roll right now, but I'm smiling because, again, as much as I talk about trying to balance as appropriate in my life, I am continually saying, I'm the one that's putting that pressure on myself. Nobody else is. Keep going. Let's talk about resentment, which goes against my grain of being positive. Look at the let's look at our strengths. Keep going. Why is resentment so important? What else should we be looking at? I think what you just said is one of the reasons it's so important. People have been telling us to paint our heaping piles of composting emotions with silver linings for too long. I believe in positive psychology. I know why it works and what's important about it. I believe in NLP and neurolinguistic programming and the language that you should use. I believe in all of that. And I also know that when the brain is in a burnt out state, it doesn't, those things don't matter. So we have to know how to reach people that are not in a state where those things are applicable. 
So the first question is, you know, does this thing need to be done? And then we go through questions that are more related to, does this thing need to be delegated to someone else? Does the tool that I use for this task need to be upgraded to make it easier for me? I just replaced my ink printer with a laser printer because every single time I went to print something, I was annoyed at how long it was taking. I was resentful toward my printer for taking up too much of my time. (laughs) Right? This is a silly example, but there's probably 60 things in your day-to-day life. You are annoyed because the knife that you use to slice your tomatoes in the morning isn't sharp enough. And you always have to tip it all the way up so that you can pierce the skin with the top so that you can then slice down into it. Sharpen your knives. Why are we doing this to ourselves, right? I mean, I always talk in the work that I do, I work with organizations to try to get to the root cause because we don't want to keep correcting something. We may be very good at correcting something like you and your printer ink, but it's if we could just spend like 5% of our time trying to figure out what is it that needs to get fixed, we can prevent that and gain back valuable seconds, minutes, and hours of our life. And energy. Oh, energy. How much (laughs) energy do we spend being annoyed at things we could fix, right? One of the first things I have clients do pretty frequently is throw out all the mugs in their house that they hate. If a mug doesn't feel good in your hands, get rid of it because you should be able to enjoy your warm cup of whatever it is you're drinking in the morning with as much joy as possible. So things like this. When we get down to going into resentment, I think resentment gets us to the core of what is the problem here, because I think it's the only honest way to really ask those questions. What are you what's really, really bugging you underneath it all? The last two questions around resentment lead us to figuring out, is this thing that's going on something about me? Is this an internal boundary? Do I need to pull myself away? Do I need to stop meddling? Do I need to stop overgiving? Do I need to not be the office mom who brings the cupcakes? Right? Or am I being exploited in some way because of a lack of a conversation or a disrespect of a conversation that's happened in the past? This is the only scenario that really requires a conversation. All the rest is within our control. Exactly. You know, you're making me smile during this conversation because right now I'm actually festering over something. There was a particular video series that I put out every week, three times a week. And I just got back from an amazing vacation with my children in Europe. And here I'm sweating, getting ready. Like, when can I fit in to record it? When can I fit in to record it? But most important was you and I having this conversation and preparing properly for this interview. I had to let it go. Nobody is going to know that I didn't have time to record that video and do that post. You know, nobody's chomping at the bit waiting for, is she going to post it? Is she going to post it? I put that on myself. So I forgave myself and said, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'll get to it tomorrow. And if somebody does ask for it, isn't that beautiful? Thank you so much for asking for it. I am absolutely getting to it. I'm just after vacation, but I'm so thrilled that you're looking forward to my content. Now, I got to ask you, I mean, what you do, I love what you talk about the topic of resentment, because so often, as you said, we think about the positive, focus on our strengths, that'll pull us forward. But I have talked to a lot of people, which adds credibility to what you said, that whenever there is grief, when there is trauma, whenever there is mental illness or sorrow, we need to give ourselves time to reflect and feel those emotions. You talk about energy, because in there, when we're feeling bad, there is also a creative element about how did I get here? What went wrong? What could I have done better? And possibly answer those same questions. And out of that, you start taking back control of your life 
and deciding what boundaries we need to set in order to move forward again. So really, really get what you do. I love that. I love that you really summated that perfectly. That's one of my superpowers. But you know, active listening, I really, really love what you say. It is a completely different angle. That's why I wanted to bring you onto the show. But now I want to start people who are listening right now to think about their current situation. Sometimes you talked early on that people don't seek the support of somebody outside of just simply themselves. I too am one of those, as my mother would say, pig-headed and stubborn. It's a superpower that I like to do it myself. Don't tell me what to do. But I later in years realize you can't go it alone. If there's somebody out there, whether it's a C-suite leader who recognizes there's potentially burnout in their organization or an individual, what would you say to them to make them think differently about maybe reaching out to somebody like you or others to support them to try to get away from burnout? I love this question. One of my favorite pieces of research is in a Harvard Business Review miniseries book, and it's about resilience. And it's been shown that there is only one behavior of all the behaviors. There's a seven characteristics. That's a whole different conversation. There is one behavior that increases our resilience, and it is asking for help. And I want to think about why this is. When you ask for help, you are increasing the resources that you have available to you. When you increase the number of resources available to you, you are more likely to find a solution. When you find a solution, you can get through the problem that you're having with more ease. Right? I just created a picture a few weeks ago of the multidirectional factors that are that create the risk factors behind burnout. And it covers the entire lifespan. It's a lifespan perspective study. And I set it out to the world and a couple of people wrote to me and said, oh, you might think about adding this. Five years ago, that would have annoyed me to my core that I didn't think of it myself. I didn't do it myself. But (laughs) there's this need for other people's eyes and thoughts and considerations around things because they see things differently than you. And that's valuable. So asking for help is the only way to immediately increase the amount of resilience you have. And if that doesn't convince you to use it, I don't know what will. You know, one of the talking points that I often have is, it's called corporate courage or having the courage to ask for help. Often in my work, I'll drop into organizations and partner with a C-suite leader who's going through some kind of business challenge that they've never been faced before and they feel off track. And one particular engagement, they contacted me early in the crisis but didn't engage with me yet. And by the time they did six months later, oh my, were they in crisis. And while we got through it, it was a little bit more costly and a little bit more difficult. There's just something about, I can do it myself or can I fend off or maybe short-sighted. It costs a little bit too much to invest in support, but it might cost you a lot more later on. Now I have to get ask you a question. You know, there are so many trends out there for which people make money on. They talk about the great resignation. They talk about silent quitting. And, you know, the next crisis that comes along, economic, political, there's going to be some other thing that's causing people to be burnt out. And I'm curious your thoughts on whether burnout is an external thing or is it always owned by the individual? I'm just curious about how you feel about that, because I want people even now, even if we're past the pandemic, we get through a political cycle, the economy is going up, people can still get burnt out. To what extent is it environmental or is it the individual? What are your thoughts on that? Because I want people that no excuses, it's the company, it's this. I just, where does it come from? I'm just curious. So the research that was done from around the time I was born 
in the late 70s, early 80s, until 2016, when I sat down and read through every single piece of burnout research that had been done to that point, said that it was 80% the company's fault. But they had only done research within corporations and hospitals. And I was a female entrepreneur. So when I read that, I was like, that means it's 80% my fault because I'm the company. <laughs> you know, I created this. So if this doesn't apply to me, how do I figure this out? And over the past, since 2016, I've been asking people to fill out a chart of internal and external risk factors for burnout. And what I've found with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people over the last six years is it's about 50-50. Okay. It's about 50-50. And that 50% that's internal, I believe, is where we always start. First of all, because we can't wait for the organization to change for you to get healthier. We don't have that kind of time. That's number one. Number two is because when you shift some things within yourself and become more resilient and become stronger and leave some of that stress behind, you might view the problems from the external in a different light. And it might lead you to two different things. One, I'm going to stay in this organization. I know that I have impact. I have autonomy and I'm going to make some shifts to help the people that are coming up behind me. Or this organization and I have very different values and that's totally okay, but it means it's time for me to go. And I think that if we make that decision from that place, then we end up leaving places or staying at places because they're aligned or not aligned with our values instead of any other reason. Very valuable to me. And, and again, I we have to start with self before blaming or making excuses for anything else. Now, before we got on here, we talked then about organizations that are keenly aware that maybe they have a burnout situation in their organization. Now, I know some people simply check the box. HR told us that we have a problem. We need to get some external help. But I would love to know a little bit about your work where you've engaged with either individuals or organizations for which they really got it. What did they realize during this process of working with you? And what were some of the changes in impact that resulted in the organization for individuals? One of my favorite was a company that actually used my podcast as a burnout recovery tool before they hired me. So they were they were using it like a book club almost. They were like, everybody go listen to this episode and then we'll get together and talk about it. And they didn't tell me. I didn't know this was happening until after it happened. And they said, we've taken this as far as we can without you. Can you come in now? Beautiful. Which I just thought was fabulous, right? That's just amazing. To me, the beginning is always, let's create the proper language to discuss this. People don't know how to talk about stress and burnout. Leaders don't know what's happening inside brains. People don't know what's happening inside their own brains. Let's get the vocabulary down first, because that way we can have conversations in a safe way that is not pointing fingers and blamey and, and, and. Then we work through resentment. Usually this happens in either small groups or individuals. We do a, a one-hour keynote, and then we do group sessions after that. So everybody knows what the core topic is. They each get a copy of the Resentment Journal mini course. They work through it, and then I get together with them, and we work through solutions and how to word them, etc. The last session in this series, is my, it's my favorite series to do, the last session is boundaries. Boundaries is a whole nother topic, and we don't have the time to do that today, but there's something in boundary research called the integration to segmentation continuum. And when we talk about boundaries, we're constantly talking about creating more space between you and something that's harming you. But what we're not talking about is that opening that door and asking for help is also boundary work, but it's just inviting someone over 
the threshold into your energetic life instead of asking someone out. Yes. And I think this is really important for people to understand that we have to both integrate more and segment more, likely in different places than we are currently integrated and segmented. So realigning that and then helping people to create those conversations. I ask people to be a boundary brat, belief, resources, abilities, trust, B-R-A-T. Using those words in boundary statements helps to empower the other person and create win-win scenarios instead of feeling like you're dumping something on other people. You know, there's some wisdom in there, a parallel to what you shared about, you know, going with resentment, setting boundaries. I too had some coaches that said, Deb, you're working so hard to try to get new clients and you're not necessarily seeing the results. You might want to give yourself some air and have less people, less activity that's not converting. And by giving that space, it almost like opens the window for new opportunities, people to come in. And I will say, even though this sounds a little woo-woo, some opportunities came in because I was spending, I was removing layers that didn't serve me. And to your point, only inviting in things that made sense. And then through the window, some opportunities came through. So very, very sad. But what was the impact of some of this work? So you do your keynote, you do the workshop, you talk about boundaries. What's been some of the impact on organizations or individuals? The impact that I see best is honestly, and I think this is a wonderful thing, and I have a hard time sometimes convincing leaders of this from the get-go, but eventually it makes sense. The people that aren't supposed to be there start leaving. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) So that means the people that stay are your core team that share the same values and want to work together to improve this company. Then you get to up-level everything because everyone that stays is there for a reason and they can start to implement new systems. I had one company change their hiring process to include a values exercise to say, are we in alignment here? Mm -hmm. Does this work out for both of us? We want you to feel good when you come in here. Social connection is critical to our work. But they had to sort through who stays and who goes for the benefit of both the company and the people, because the people that stay that don't belong there end up quiet quitting. And the most recent Gallup toll said 7.8 trillion is wasted in unengaged workers yearly. What a waste. Lost money. (laughs) Yeah. Like what? We don't need people that are not engaged at your company. Let's weed them out. Let's give them the permission to leave with grace. Yes. Respect. Because you never know where you're going to cross paths again. Exactly. And I love what you talk about values. I'm even coaching and giving tips to people when things are feeling uneasy and you decide to leave a job, but interviewing for a job, it's not about just saying what you can do for them, but we need to spend a lot of time assessing what are their values. And then not just by words, but look for keys, indicators and, and, and body language, et cetera, that represent that value. So I might, I was actually interviewing for a client where they talk about, you know, caring about people and, and things like that, but they were also showing up late for the interview. They were maybe not messaging back on time. So there was something there, not necessarily bad, but didn't feel right. So I'm glad I didn't go with that, but we need to empower ourselves to just check the values before we find an organization that we can align with. 100%. Yeah. You, you know, you and I could go on and on on this topic. All we want to do, and this is another second tagline of mine, is I just want to help people struggle less and spend more time doing the things they love, whether it's with friends, family, or in their community. And I think leveraging your expertise in burnout, resentment, the language is all very valuable. 
Any last closing thoughts for our listeners? Because I absolutely want them to check out your work and connect with you. So anything you want to share before we bring it to a close? Don't be afraid of resentment. It's okay to have it. It's natural to have. Merriam-Webster tells us it's the bitter indignation at having been treated unfairly. But when we find the core of that unfairness, what you really felt was unfair, what was going on there, you not only learn how to boundary set better, you also learn how to nourish yourself better. So I know that it might seem like a scary task because we like to avoid the, the more difficult or quote unquote negative emotions, but please don't be afraid of resentment. It truly is a superpower when it's used well. Kate, you've been an amazing guest, super excited to have met you, been introduced to you. And I know this is not the end of our interactions here. I ask my listeners to definitely check out Kate Donovan's work, check out her website. We'll have all of that in our show notes. You have been amazing. I do wish you, Kate, continued success. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass Assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.